Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that rave Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Trail Radio, episode 512. Coming to you on Monday, October 16th. We're going to look back at USC's loss to Notre Dame, open up the mailbag, listen to the rant line, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Rant of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Rant of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Tune in, Spotify, uh, and of course, here live on YouTube, where we are here every Monday, Wednesday, and after every game. Uh, our email address is reignoftroyfansetter.com and our phone number, 818-643-7227. Second Woodsboro Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-hosts here in the Rancho studio in Los Angeles, Lisa Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back. It is a uh, big episode because we've got a ton of stuff. We've We've... We've got a new segment to talk about, to, to unveil. Nothing original, but um, new new on the show. That's that's fun. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to, we had to find a new way to frame um, some of the conversations that are that are coming out of the Notre Dame game. So, yeah, yeah I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as always, uh, you, you guys... Uh, can join us here uh, on live on YouTube. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. It helps support the show. But you know what else supports the show? Join in DraftKings. Because no no need for a great segue this week. We're just going right into it. DraftKings is running a new promotion that you won't want to miss. New users can place a $5 bet and instantly claim 200 bucks in bonus bets. You'll also be rewarded with a separate no-sweat single-game parlay every single day. When you opt in, all you need to do is use the code Reign of Troy and using that code Reign of Troy, all one word, not only gets you these great bonuses, but it also directly supports this very podcast. So if you've been considering signing up for DraftKings, make sure you use the code Reign of Troy to maximize your first bets and parlays. Of course, this offer is only available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. If you're still in Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, wherever you went uh, over the weekend, if you're still there, you know, you can still join uh, DraftKings as well, uh, even though we know that this, this, uh, this podcast reaches everywhere, of course, all across the country. Uh, so if you're in a legal gambling state, uh, join DraftKings and remember to always gamble responsibly and check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. Uh, Alicia, we got some news. Should we just get into it? Let's do it. All right, we got to start with the one little news nugget uh, that I think is worth sharing. Uh, A new time. 
for the um, Cal game up uh, in a week and a half. Not this upcoming game for the Trojans, which is against Utah on Saturday night at the Coliseum, 5 p.m. But next week, USC goes up to Strawberry Canyon for the last time. USC at Cal, the final weekender. Isn't isn't that depressing to think about? <laughs> final ever weekender, USC will go up there next week, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Pac-12 Network. The last final game ever on the Pac-12 Network for USC. We assume. There's, there's <laughs> no way. There, there is no yeah, way that the Washington, Oregon, or UCLA game will be on the Pac-12 Network. Fair enough. Yes. Yes. No uh, yeah. That's, uh, we thought we were done. But uh, honestly, looking at the schedule, this is less USC's fault and more like Arizona's fault because that Arizona-Oregon State game, I do not think would be the Pac-12 After Dark game, except for Arizona now looks like uh, a team that's uh, that's made of something of of, made yeah. of, of of bigger stuff. So yeah, it's a uh, eh, at least people won't complain about a, a late kickoff. It's one p.m. Yeah, 100%. Um, the other news to get to is the polls. Uh, SC's down after their uh, big, you know, gigantic loss at Notre Dame. The Trojans got uh, jiggled back by the Irish 48-20. And, of course, they've fallen down the polls to number 18. Notre Dame is up to 15. Uh, UCLA out of the polls after their loss to Oregon State. But the Trojans still there um, at 18 um, on the schedule going forward, uh, Oregon at nine, Washington at five. Uh, uh, one one quick correction. And Utah at fourteen. One quick correction. Uh, UCLA dropped to twenty five, so they're not they're not out. They they are. Eighteen. Wait, UCLA is UCLA at dropped to twenty five. Yeah, UCLA oh. is still in the top twenty five. Sorry, the the link that that is in our rundown is a terrible link. By the way, uh, the ESPN format is so much easier than the AP News oh, yes. format. Yes, this is true. Because <laughs> it breaks it up. It, it stops at 24 for some reason. There we go. Oh, okay. Uh, anyways, yeah. Uh, UCLA clinging on. Clinging on still ranked. Barely. 25. Um, Arizona is now um, n- not ranked. How is Arizona not ranked? Did I not look at this yesterday? How is Arizona not ranked? Arizona is not ranked because voters don't pay attention to anything. Wait a minute. Out- Arizona doesn't even have a receiving they vote. They aren't even receiving votes because voters don't pay attention when, unless it's like the top ten. Voters don't pay attention how? to anything except for win loss record, and all they see how is that they Arizona not have has a receiving two losses. Vote? Like Washington State fell out of the polls because they lost to Arizona. Yeah, and Arizona is not even in the re- okay. Yeah, cool. I mean, this is also why USC, you know, only falls to eighteen, and why. Washington only moves up to five. Uh, it, it's it's all it's all just because preseason expectations play a huge role in in what voters in the AP decide are gonna are gonna be involved yeah. in their moving. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you if you didn't if they didn't think you were anything going into the season, then you have to be undefeated at this point for them to be paying attention enough to rank you. Like you force them to rank you the way that like Louisville has forced them to to rank them. But right. Um, yeah, Arizona. Arizona being four and three is is everyone's looking at those three losses and thinking, 
like, oh, they, they have three losses. They can't be any good. Yeah. When two of those losses are... In overtime. The other are, one is a, is a one-touchdown loss in the first start of... Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, this is Reign of Troy. This isn't Reign of Tucson. So <laughs> uh, let's get to talking about the Trojans, uh, who got absolutely curb-stomped uh, in South Bend. Uh, as the chat says, uh, yeah, manhandled in the trenches, as West Texas Mike says. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh Let's let's talk about SC and Notre Dame. It's been a couple of days uh, to think about what's gone on. Any any new thoughts? A- anything has arisen in your in your dome? Uh, the thing the thing that I want to say that I don't think I was able to um, to articulate on Saturday sure. is my frustration with some of the conversations that come out of this game, which is boils down to a very simple thing there is a huge difference between Lincoln Riley got this wrong and Lincoln Riley is a fraud and there is a way to live in a spectrum where we're talking about things that Lincoln Riley got wrong without it having to become an indictment of Lincoln Riley is not a good head coach Lincoln Riley needs to leave USC in order for USC to succeed or the idea that Lincoln Riley is a fraud I think USC fans have ha- have had too mu- too much interaction with batshit Oklahoma fans who have poisoned the well about the state of of of, of the the head coach at USC. Which, like, to be quite honest, this is all being driven to me by really really bitter Oklahoma fans. Um, when it comes down to it, you look at this game and you point to very specific. Uh, miscues, mistakes, or misjudgments that Lincoln Riley has made that set USC in a position to uh, get beat by Notre Dame the way that USC got beat by Notre Dame. Um, and a, a lot of it still, to me, boils down to miscues, not fundamental things that are indicative of a program that can't possibly contend. Uh, but when it like when it comes down to it, to me, there was a there was a dreamland that I think USC was living in where you could turn four and eight into national title in two years without any stumbles, without any any gaps within the program that still needed to get plugged. Um, and what we're finding out right now is that the, the gaps in the program that needed to get plugged were more either more severe or, or, or didn't get papered over uh, as thoroughly as, uh, as, as needed to be, P- particularly on the offensive line. But I will continue to say, when your offensive line recruiting has been, when you, when you went from five different offensive, uh, offensive line coaches in five years and then finally sort of hit on somebody and then had to fire your head coach because that was warranted, and then had a situation where you've had almost a decade of not recruiting the trenches the way that you need to recruit them. You lose a lot of credibility in terms of being able to and, and relationship building that you need to in order to recruit the trenches. You have to rebuild that credibility at all of your recruiting bases. You have to do all of the hard, hard work. And it doesn't get turned over overnight. In a, in a perfect world, it does. And, uh, and, and all of the transfers you bring in are, are perfect and all American level, 
but that was that's a perfect world and we don't live in a perfect world people make mistakes people miss evaluations people have have things go wrong and that's that's sort of where like where i'm at is i want to be able to have conversations about about the issues that usc has over here which usc has issues this team is flawed in as joe in the chat says in year two of a rebuild right which should be expected to be flawed and have issues and not have it turn into a you know me having to sit here on a saturday night when i could just be ranting about how terrible usc played having to sit there and and rant about how people are being insane for talking about doing anything with the head coach like at, the, at this point well, I, uh, that, I think that's, there's i think there's some nuance here cuz I, I yeah i i think that when you look at it i i think the I think we overlooked the issues of the offensive line earlier on in the season, overlooked them in the preseason in part for two reasons. Number one, Lincoln Riley's always had a good offensive line. He had it in Oklahoma. They were always in the lead offensive line. Uh, doesn't bring, bring in Bill Beatonbow, but yet last year, SC's offensive line metrics were extremely good. Mm-hmm. They were extremely good in year one. And I think that that, it, that because of that, it was easy to overlook the offensive line as being a problem this year because it was two straight years in which the offensive line was good at SC. The 2021 offensive line, even in a weird year in which Clay Helton got fired, that was the best part of the, the offensive yeah. line, yeah. yeah. Um, in hindsight... I think we need to realize that that offensive line was probably so good because Andrew Voorhees was so damn good. Well, but that's that's what I saw somebody on Twitter basically say that what this game tells us is is uh, USC fans didn't appreciate last year's offensive line very much, like as well as they should have. Yeah, I, and I don't. And, I think and, it's a valid read. Of and it. that's a, it's. I think it's a very valid read when you're looking at uh, the players that USC lost, and uh, and the importance of those players and that is this is what happens when you replace this many offensive linemen and to be fair well number one when you replace this many offensive linemen number two when you do so when you haven't recruited the offensive line well enough at all right and one of the things that i'm kind of frustrated by is i admit i had the wool pulled over my eyes about the transfers and usc doing what they needed to do in order to plug those holes and make sure that there wasn't going to be a massive regression on the offensive line. Um, but this is what you saw against Notre Dame is what happens to teams when their offensive lines don't play well. I spent all of Sunday watching uh, watching football, uh, watching NFL. And what happened to the Eagles when they lost Lane Johnson to an injury? Jalen Hurts threw three interceptions and they lost the game. Now, I think everyone who watches the NFL has seen that the Eagles are a very good football team, that Jalen Hurts is a very good quarterback leading them, and that their offense is one of the better offenses in the NFL. But when you lose a critical player like Lane Johnson, you you can be in trouble against a really good defensive front like the Jets have. 49ers go out there and lose Trent Williams. Again, Brock Purdy looks, looks human. He, they go out and lose lose a game to a good defense. Like this is what happens when your offensive line doesn't play well, and your offensive line has a million reasons why it might might not play well. And I think it's very easy to look at USC's offensive line right now and see very clearly why that happens. Uh, 
and you know maybe it's on us for not being more alive to the to the uh the cracks in the foundation there maybe it's on us for being for not being more skeptical about uh about whether or not USC could could do this this big of an offensive line rebuild uh through the transfer portal but that's the reality of of where it is and I will continue right. to say that that there are a lot of results-based freakouts that are happening right now that are that are taking a uh, to me a very clear issue and exploding it out into a million directions and making mountains out of molehills. That over here there's a molehill that people are turning into a mountain, and over here there's a molehill that people are turning into a mountain, and and right in front of you there's a molehill that people are turning into a mountain. When like in the center of it all there there was a mountain all along, and that was really what the issue is, and and you can point to all of those other things but in reality like that's where that's where you were so uh i yeah i don't know i i my takeaway from this game continues to be it was a horrendous performance that was uh that that was set off by by terrible offensive line play and all of the ripples of that don't have to be tidal waves they don't have to be tsunamis uh, until at least until you have proof that that's that that's the case. Yeah, and and to go back to the O line thing last year, um, the O line was we we talked about it not ne- not necessarily great in pass pro. Uh, Caleb Williams was scrambling all over the place last year, but they were very strong in run blocking. Right. Well, what happened in the Utah game? Uh, Andrew Voorhees doesn't play. That is SC's worst offensive performance of the season. Uh, I guess save for the early season Oregon game, but like worst run performance of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Was was in the Utah game. And Brett Nealon gets hurt in that game too. And don't overlook uh, the importance of Brett Nealon here because yeah, because uh, in the Cotton Bowl, SC didn't have either one of them either, and SC wasn't able to run the ball. It was all mm-hmm. about throwing the ball in, in the Cotton Bowl. SC did that very well against it's against Tulane, um, but. Um, if they would have been able to run the ball more effectively, they they win that game going away probably, right? Um, and you saw in this game the the uh, you know the offensive line sort of it it was everything. It was everything that ended up creating the situations and all those things. Uh, we can talk about the the miscues of Caleb Williams to to the you know cows go home. Uh, half of those picks were were on Caleb Williams, and half of them were on the old line for me. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and Lamont Lamont in the chat says Michael and Alicia last year the biggest question was the O line. Why did we think this year they would be the strength when we lost the best couple linemen from last year? Yeah, I don't, I I, I don't know. We can check the tape. I, I just know that I came into this this off season saying the biggest concern for USC's off for USC's offense going into twenty twenty three was the O line specifically because you lost Andrew Voorhees, you lost Brett Nealon, you lost uh, Haskins, you lost. Uh, Cortland Ford, you lost a whole lot of people mm-hmm. that were key figures on that offensive yeah. line. Like I know, well, I know we talked about the offensive line being the biggest concern. I I know for me though, I like I said, I I think that last year's success in the offensive line, I absolutely uh, I think convinced me that the offensive line was going to be a plug and play, especially when mm-hmm. you when you looked at the history of all the other Lincoln Riley offensive lines. Absolutely. Uh, Charleston says the offensive line player is play isn't going to get better. And there's been regression. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there has been a regression on the offensive line as the season has gone, gone on. They've also played much better defensive lines as the season has gone on. 
um, especially the last two weeks, Arizona has looked like a very damn good defense, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, suddenly out of nowhere. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be a concern, especially when SC now has to play great great defensive lines, including Saturday night against Utah, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that's going to be a problem because the offensive line issues are not something that you can fix in a week. That's that's, that's the, the problem. Issue. That's yeah. the problem. To me, that's the big gigantic red flag of all this stuff is it's not a thing that you can fix in a week and when it's the problem that you didn't expect to have which i think both of us are sitting here talking about um yeah that's 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 huge that's huge uh let's get to our new segment not original we're just going buy or sell uh we're gonna we're gonna be really simple uh, and just play some buy or sell. Uh, we're going to go through some things that we've seen, are, uh, certain narratives, uh, ones we agree or don't agree with, and we're going to talk it out uh, after USC's Notre Dame game. Let's start with the first one. Uh, first buy or sell item. Uh, Lincoln Riley needs a special teams coordinator. Alicia, what do you say? Um, I think I've made my opinion on this um, pretty clear over the years. I am selling this. I The only reason I'd buy it is because then I don't have to, t- then we don't have to talk about it because then USC would have a special teams coordinator and anytime a special teams mistake happen, then people will just complain about the special teams coordinator instead of complaining that USC doesn't have a special teams coordinator. Um, to me, special teams is a, is a catch-all uh, thing to complain about every year for every team. USC gave up kick return touchdowns when they had a special teams coordinator. We spent every week having people ask us why USC spends so much time practicing special teams, uh, wasting time practicing special teams uh, as, as an indictment of the Clay Helton era when USC had a special teams coordinator. So I'm selling it. I don't think that this is the biggest, the, 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 the issue that people make it out to be. I do not think a special teams coordinator fixes the problems that USC has on special teams because look around college football and most teams suck at special teams in when when uh when they have players that aren't aren't necessarily sure tackles tacklers so I don't know that's that's where I'm at I'm gonna buy this but not I, I'm, I'm buying this is yeah I think you should probably have a special teams coordinator SC assigns it to a to an analyst um one of the analysts is the I think it Ryan Doherty, I, th- I think, is the guy. Uh, I might be butchering that right now because I'm going off of what I remember. Uh, the uh, Yeah, I, I think you need a, a special teams coordinator in a, in a general sense. So you need someone who is dedicated to be your special teams coordinator? No, I do not think that this is a major issue. I do not think this is the reason why SC is 6-1. I do not think this is the reason why the, cloud is, the, the, the sky is falling. I think the special teams coordinator stuff is widely a distraction from a lot of other things. But I think you should have a, a special teams coordinator. Yeah, like I looked at Georgia. Georgia has one. Uh, uh, Georgia has one that splits time with, with like linebackers or something. And then I think Alabama has one. Like You can have someone who does the job and something else. I, I don't think that that's too much to ask for. Um when SC gave up a very untimely long touchdown in this game, uh, before that, you look at SC's you know kickoff return numbers defensively, they were extremely middle of the road, like 60th in the country. 
uh, in kickoff return uh, defense. Uh, I know that Zach Branch on offense, uh, on the offensive side of special teams, is doing great things. Uh, but, you know, everyone's going to look at that as, yeah, but that's just one player. So, I don't know. The, the, I'm not going to blame the bad snap on a, on a coach against Arizona. Should they have a coordinator? Yes. Is this is this the reason that we're sitting here talking about how SC is not going to the playoff this year? No. Is that fair? That yeah. that, that that's where I am. Yeah. So. Uh all right, let's go to the next one. Uh which is USC's defense against Notre Dame proved that Alex Grinch has turned it around. Buy or sell. I am selling this. I think that we came in hearing a lot of things about how Notre Dame's offensive coordinator was terrible, that their offense was unimaginative, that their offense was um, like <laughs> these like running high school concepts and that they were sort of easy to figure out if you if you had the the athletes to deal with to deal with them. And I think that's what we saw. I think what we saw from from the defense was probably more of a reflection of Notre Dame's offense than USC's defense. Now the one, then USC's defense making a major leap. The the thing I will give the defense here is that, as I think I said on Saturday, they made ASU's offense look better than ASU's offense is. Mm-hmm. And the thing I will say about the defense against Notre Dame is they made Notre Dame's defense look like what Notre Dame people were telling us Notre Dame's defense, Notre Dame's offense would look like. Yeah. Uh, so, to me, that is that is a step in the right direction. That is an encouraging step because USC is going to face some other offenses that have major question marks around them, Utah coming up right now, that all you have to do defensively, uh, what USC really needs the defense to do is to make Utah's offense look like what it's looked like all season. Uh, and if they can do that, then that is a step in the right direction. That does not mean that they've turned it around. Yeah, most of Notre Dame's points, we talked about this in the carcass, were not due to what they did on offense. Um, a defensive score, there was the special teams score. There was another, essentially a, a defensive score because a drive started at the two-yard line and then there were two other ones that were on short field. So yeah. the, the defense looked fine against Notre Dame. It's yeah. fine what you want from your, say, national championship defense. no. But it's fine for an Alex Grinch defense. I will take what they did uh, against Notre Dame. Does it has it proven that they've turned it around? No. Yeah. Uh, no. This is the Notre Dame offense, um, and SC made them look like the Notre Dame offense that we saw against Ohio State, that we saw against Duke, that we saw against Louisville. Yeah. Which was an offense that SC should be able to outgun. Like mm-hmm. that should. It's not a, an offense that, that scares you in that sense. Uh, this wasn't the Notre Dame offense that that we saw against Navy, um, which I think is a you know cr- a credit to SC's defense for not you know looking like the second half against Colorado or or NC State like because yeah. NC State we I think we talked about NC State was a little bit closer in terms of like SP plus rankings to USC's defense and right. USC definitely didn't let Notre Dame's Notre Dame mm-hmm. look like what NC State looked like against and, them so I'll give them that. And there was a shout in the in the chat about this too. I, I thought the tackling was much better. Much better game. tackling. I uh, haven't seen the, any numbers, uh, 
that people were sharing, but like the tackling just in general looked it passed yeah. the eye test. The one big play that they gave up was the the deep bomb over down downfield, which was a was a single coverage on a nickelback. Uh, that that is, uh, if you're going to play defense, if you're going to play an aggressive style defense like that, uh, yeah. maybe you shouldn't let that matchup happen. But also, that's a matchup that that. If you lose it, I, I'm not going to blame Jalen Smith, who had a who had a good game, in my opinion. Yeah, the best tackle of the season, maybe. Maybe uh, it's it's hard to quantify, but the Kalen Bullock stop on that third down, mm-hmm. open field tackling yeah. was significantly improved. that was now if that was the Colorado game, he misses and that's a touchdown, now, right? Like, but but now, it wasn't. That's all but well and good. Again, but we came into the we came into the game talking about how Notre Dame's receiving core might be. I had somebody tell me that it might be the worst receiving core in the country, like. So yeah, yeah. So, so take, take it all with a massive grain of salt. Yeah. SC's going to play Utah on on Saturday, which is essentially, I mentioned the car. It's like a off brand version of Notre Dame uh, on offense. Um, in that uh, Utah's offense is not good. So um, yeah, SC should not be terrible on defense on Saturday. John in the chat says uh, Pro Football Focus had two missed tackles recorded in the game. That's good. I will take that, that every week. That that seems good. That yeah. seems good. There also weren't that many plays. So yeah, <laughs> that's and that's true. That's yeah. the other thing is that the defense we are uh, we're giving them credit for the drives that they got stops on that weren't yeah. the turnover drives. But we also don't know what it would have looked like if Notre Dame had had to yeah. have you know 11, 12 drives uh, that yeah. were normal only only 49 plays in this game for Notre mm-hmm. Dame they didn't need that many yeah. um let's go to the next one uh which is Caleb Williams lost the Heisman Trophy at Notre Dame let's see you um you know I'm buying this and more than anything I think it's it's I would frame it as Caleb Williams lost the Heisman Trophy this weekend number one because he had the three interceptions he looked human and because we saw what USC's offensive line uh, we saw the flaws on this offensive line that, as we've said, you can't fix overnight. Uh, so I think that that the offensive line will continue to be a concern that's potentially going to be holding him back going forward. Uh, that's not to say that he can't have plenty of heroics like he did against Arizona and, and end up winning the, the Heisman anyway. But I think the bigger issue for Caleb is that Michael Penix... Mm-hmm. Got that win over Oregon, looking yeah. really good. There are others that are emerging that will, uh, so long as they don't screw up, which obviously we don't know, uh, that will be positioned really well to win the Heisman. It is extremely difficult to win the Heisman a second year in a row. Uh, Bryce Young, for instance, came back, didn't win the, you know, went to New York, didn't didn't win the Heisman uh, in large part. Because, uh, you know, his numbers were all, if I remember correctly, were all better. But his team was not as good. His offense was not as good. The offense around him was not as good. And there's always just some someone more shiny and new coming along that's uh, that's going to get the attention. So, to me, that's the issue. I don't think Caleb could afford a three-interception game this year. Especially in a marquee matchup that everyone was watching. I am selling this strictly for one reason. You win and lose... I think you can lose a, a, a Heisman Trophy before November, mm-hmm. but there's absolutely still the ability for Caleb to win it in November. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Is that a one man team? Is that the is if that's what the narrative is? He can still prove that to be the case. 
uh, against Oregon and, and it, against Washington. If he outguns Knicks and, and Penix, mm-hmm. he's facing them head head on. Head to head, yeah. Like like those are going to be major national like you know chances for him to come back. If the offensive line is what it is, and they look like they did, you know, against Notre Dame in those two games, then it, it won't matter, obviously. But I think there is a chance he can come back because remember, a year ago, after the the Utah game, I, there weren't that many people talking about Caleb Williams as as he wasn't the favorite until November. Yeah, that's very true. It, it was, was Hendon Hooker for a lot of the, the the time last year, and Hendon Hooker didn't end up as a finalist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, things change. Um, things change when you get to November. My money is absolutely on Penix right now, but um, I, I don't think it's completely over. So I that's, think that's. that's uh, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Especially when Penix and Knicks are going to be directly compared to Caleb because Caleb literally won it last year. Yes. Um, but last little point here: we all know that the most difficult thing to do is to repeat because you're competing against yourself last year. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the interceptions, I think, are the the problem there. SC, uh, Caleb Williams might be better in some areas than last year, but that's going to be a problem. But to, you're right; it, it it comes down to November, one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, let's go to buy or sell. Uh, what we saw versus Notre Dame is what Lincoln Riley's teams are. Uh, what say you? Sell. I'm selling this just because this is the opposite of what Lincoln Riley's teams are. Um, I, I saw a lot of accus- accusations that he doesn't win the big game, but it, at Oklahoma, he also beat Texas more years than he lost to Texas. That's the big game every year for Oklahoma. Uh, we saw him win big 12 title games, so it wasn't like he was losing the big game there. Um, we also don't see him lose very many games where his offense gets shut down because his quarterback throws three interceptions and his defense actually does okay, and then everything sort of collapses. I just... This doesn't feel like what like people who are saying that are pushing an agenda that that it's it just sounds good to them, but I don't think that's actually the case for what uh, what Lincoln Riley when things have gone wrong for Lincoln Riley that this is not generally the way that it it is usually um, gone. So yeah. I'm not buying it. I need to see a hell of a lot more. And and even even if this season collapses, it will still be not what you, we've seen from Lincoln Riley because his teams haven't generally collapsed even after midseason losses in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hey, I, 2020, the the year that Lincoln Riley got it wrong with uh, with Spencer Rattler, they started one and two, mm-hmm. and then won the last eight games of the season and won the Big Twelve. Yeah. So again, so it's they yeah. they haven't historically crumbled uh, because of you know a loss or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I am selling this um, because the 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 mark on Lincoln Riley is the lack of defense, is the the um, and the softness in general. Yeah, I think you can make the case that SC was soft against Notre Dame because they lost the the battle on on the line. Absolutely, but this wasn't like this game in which they got, you know, the the forty eight points that Notre Dame scored was primarily defensive minded, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not like uh SC just got gashed on defense and all these other things. And I think we have to talk about how this this offensive performance was for SC, how much of an outlier it was. USC had 4.08 yards per play against Notre Dame. That was the lowest by a Lincoln Riley offense since his second game as Oklahoma's offensive coordinator. 
back in 2015. Yeah. Which was four yards per play, and that was at Tennessee, a, a game which Oklahoma somehow still won. Uh, the five turnovers, the most by a Lincoln Riley offense since he was the offensive coordinator at East Carolina. The um, only the second time a Lincoln Riley quarterback has thrown three interceptions since going to Oklahoma, um, that was Spencer Radler. He did it in his second career start against Kansas State uh, in in twenty twenty. Um, that tells you how rare that sort of thing is. Mm-hmm. The twenty eight point regular season loss, the most by a Lincoln Riley team ever. Almost all of the the Baylor loss in in. 2021 was a 13-point loss. Everything else is a one-score game. So getting just completely boat raced like this in a game in which your your offense is the issue is completely the antithesis of what a Lincoln-Riley narrative is. So, no, this is... is this is not what a Lincoln Riley team is. Um, the Colorado, if they would have lost the Colorado game, yes, yes I would have bought into <laughs> that being. Yeah. This is what the Lincoln Riley thing is, but not not this one. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, USC's receiving core just isn't good enough this year. What do you got? Um, I am selling this. I think this is this is one of those molehills that people are turning into mountains that I that I've been talking about. When your offensive line is as leaky as USC's offensive line has been, plays don't have the time to develop, receivers don't have the time to get open to finish their routes to um, to do all to 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 sort of make the plays that USC needs them to make, uh, and and it sort of it looks worse on the receivers than than it actually is. Uh, I think that uh, there's another element that we have also seen, Caleb pass up the opportunities to hit open receivers underneath because he's going for the yeah. for the chunk play. We've talked about him being a little bit too greedy uh, in a couple of these games. That's not a wide receiver issues necessarily. That's just the the, the you know the the offense not moving in sort of not not being in rhythm. Uh, so I think that this is a little bit overblown. I've seen people talk in the chat uh, for a few weeks now about how USC let Kyle Ford go. Um but to me, that looks like, I mean, trust me, I wanted Kyle Ford to stay. I didn't want him to leave. But the decision to favor Brendan Rice over Kyle Ford, like Kyle Ford leaves because USC has Brendan Rice there and he's not going to start over Brendan Rice. Alisa, where do you think Kyle Ford ranks on UCLA's catch list? I just pulled it up. He has seven catches for 84 yards. Yeah. He has, he's seventh among the... Logan Loya has... 23 catches and Kyle Ford has seven. Meanwhile, Brendan Rice is, I think, USC's number one receiver this year, aside from Taj Washington being the the sort of slot guy that's just available for every catch, every 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 game. Um, we've seen Brendan Rice step up and, and be that guy for USC. I really like what we've seen from Brendan Rice. I think that you there are certainly questions about... Um, Mario Williams and Dorian Singer and whether or not they are having enough of a standout um, impact yeah. for USC. I think those are valid, uh, valid questions. I think Mario Williams is Mario Williams is a little bit too much uh, of just uh, being sort of popping up for a catch here and there, but not imposing his will on a game the way that we that you want to see in like a a, a number one receiver be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dorian Singer is is not imposing his will on games. So I will give you those. 
Uh, but I don't think that the wide receiver core has been the issue. I don't think that the, I think that the idea that they're not getting open is overblown. I think that against Notre Dame, Notre Dame was, is, is arguably the best secondary USC is going to face all year. Maybe Oregon has a, has an argument, but, um, the, the issues in this game had a lot more to do too with when you have a good secondary that's sticking with receivers, they didn't even get the chance to go out and make plays against that secondary because the offensive line was so, was so poor. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm selling this. Yeah. I, I'm going to sell it, but with a giant caveat here, um, I, one of the big things I got wrong in the off season, I think was buying into the receiving core being as good as say Ohio States. Um, I, I don't think that was a crazy opinion to have at the time. Um, given all the, the talent SC has at receiver, or at least that we've, we've thought SC has at receiver and all that stuff. That said, when when you're talking about like just isn't good enough this here's, year, here's like the, this this wide yeah. receiving core, I think is still plenty of the 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 wide receiver core is not the reason why they are in the position that they are in. Is the wide receiver core is not why the offense has not looked crisp for the last nine quarters. So that's why I'm selling it. But I do agree in this general sense of there's no Drake London on this in this wide receiver core, and I thought they're there could be a player of that sort somewhere. This is the only, this, to me, this is the bit that the, when you say that USC's wide receiver core, we thought could be comparable to Ohio State's wide receiver core. To me, the difference between the two receiving cores is simply Marvin Harrison Jr. Sure. USC does not have a Jordan Addison, Marvin Harrison Jr., no question first round, top half of the first round kind of receiver talent but, uh, on this team. Yeah. That doesn't mean that USC's wide receiver core is somehow letting the team down, or 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 the reason that USC's offense isn't isn't rolling. Right, but, like Lamont says, Washington has the best receiver. Washington, Arizona, yeah, I I think that there are better receiving cores in the conference. Yes, and I think that if you if if that's what the qualifier is for not good enough, then yeah, put me down in the buy category. Um. I, this is sort of like the, the special teams coordinator thing. In the grand scheme of things, this, like, isn't a top 10 problem for me. No. Yeah. Uh, with with SC right now. It's not a top 10 problem. Yeah, I, th- I think that the receiving core needs to be better. Absolutely. 100%. But I, I... I think the receiving core would be better and people would not be complaining about them yeah. if the offensive line wasn't giving up 11 tackles for loss in five sacks. Yeah, and and I agree with the chat that Mario Williams, I think, is the guy that. And I'm also know, I'm also going to bat for Brendan Rice. I do not think he dropped that ball. He was being interfered with before that ball got there. Making that catch would have been an, an incredible catch. The one I'm in not, the end zone. The one in the. I am not docking him for that for that drop. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I, I think Rice's development over the last year has been very, very solid. Yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap up uh, by yourself. It's time to get to over under. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right. Let's get to the first one. Uh, preseason, uh, pre-week standings, by the way. Uh, I had a 20 and 16 record coming in. You were 17 and 19. First one. You said over under 191 and a half. 
Notre Dame rushing yards. Uh, I uh, took the under on this. Uh, I it was which was just a, a whim. I I got rather lucky. There Notre Dame only ran forty nine <laughs> plays. So this, of all of this, of all of the over unders that were heavily impacted by Notre Dame just simply not having to run very many plays. This, this, this was, was the one. one. Yes, this was the one. Yeah, uh, th- it is an under because uh, Notre Dame only ran for a buck twenty five. Yeah, uh, if they would have had their full assessment of plays and all that stuff, they probably would have gotten pretty damn close. Uh, but only a buck twenty five for the Irish there. Uh, next one, I said over under four and a half tackles for loss for Notre Dame. You had no faith in your alma mater. You said under. <laughs> this is because I thought they'd probably end up with something like four. It was 11. This is because I was putting way too much stake in Caleb Williams' Ooh. escapability. And this was the one game where he had zero escapability. Yeah. 11. Yikes. Yeah. By the way, SC only had one. One. She was averaging over nine per game. Only had one. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, yards per carry for the Trojans. Four and a half, you said. Over, under four and a half. Uh, I took the over on this, and uh, that's a regrettable one. Uh, you get locked into the under, and you win it. You uh, got... This was brutal. This uh, was brutal. USC's yards per carry, 2.78. If you, I, I will say, if you take out the sacks... Which we didn't do. Um, if you take out the sacks, SC's sack-adjusted yards per carry is 4.71, which would have been over this. But that, let's be real, that does not matter. Um, Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones combined 73 yards on 19 carries with a touchdown, a yards per carry average of 3.84. That is not good enough. Mm-hmm. That inc- also includes a 31-yard touchdown run from uh, Marshawn Lloyd on the on the speed option flip that he got from Caleb Williams. If you take that out, Lloyd and Austin Jones on the 18 other carries average 2.3 yards per carry. Not good. Well, again, you oh, okay, this is a really good example of were are USC's running backs doing enough? Or are are they are I don't they, think they are, were given the opportunity? Are, are USC's to do enough running in this backs game? doing enough, or is the offensive line be like again? Skill position players and often are. It's you you have to try and cut through the, the the BS about how much the overall impact of the offense is 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 playing yeah. a role. And when your offensive line is getting worked the way that USC's offensive line was getting worked. I don't know what you want your running backs to do, and I don't know what you want your your wide receivers to do. That's sort of where I'm at. Yeah, and then the other side of this is, yeah, they, they didn't get the opportunity to to do well there. And and this was the difference. The, the reason I, I set this over under is because last year, the thing that stood out about this matchup with Notre Dame was USC went out there and ran the ball down Notre Dame's throat. And that was yeah. what set the tone in that game. They were not capable of doing it. It wasn't a lack of trying to run the ball in this game. Uh I I one of the one of the gripes against Lincoln Riley is that he doesn't run the ball enough. Um if anything, you could say he ran the ball too much in this they, game. He tried they tried to establish the run like they did last yeah. year. And they, it did they, not work. They tried and they tried and they tried, even yeah. in two minute situations, which is questionable. Yeah. Um but yeah, um did not work. Had no push up front at all. 
Uh, let's go to my next one, which is over under 6.005 USC yards per play. Uh, you took the over. Uh, I got locked into the under. I miraculously <laughs> somehow lily warped you into getting this wrong, and I'm pleased about that one, I guess. Uh, SC was at one four point one, like we talked about earlier, four point oh eight, which is the lowest of the Lincoln Riley era as a head coach. So, big, <sighs> yeah. big discrepancy there. Uh, let's go to your last one over under five and a half. Notre Dame third downs converted. The number of third downs, not the percentage. The number of conversions themselves. You said five and a half. Uh, I took the over thinking that they'd have a lot of plays or something like that. Uh, I was dumb. I was royally dumb because they only ran 49 plays. Uh, nine of those were on third down. They only converted three. They went three of nine on third down, which gets the under. Uh, so there we go. This um, is this this was exactly why I set that. This is why I'm selling the, the defense um, because like Notre Dame is incapable of getting more than five third downs converted in a game. <laughs> Granted, again, this one is heavily impacted by them not yeah. having to drive down the field on several drives because... Yeah, SC yeah. also had to make the stops in the third downs, yes, too. Yes, and they but, did make the stops in the yeah. third downs, and they got off the field, which was what was unusual. Right. Uh, let's go But to, also, Notre Dame, Notre Dame had receivers dropping balls left and right, by the way. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the last one. Uh, my last over under was one and a half USC backfield fumbles. All right. So in the preview, uh, by the way, you, you took the under and I took, I got locked into the over. Uh, we talked about this included fumbled snaps and miss mesh point mishaps. So Caleb Williams fumbling in the backfields counts strip sack counts. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd fumbling in the backfield counts, but we specifically said, a screen being fumbled does not count if it's behind the line of scrimmage. And who could have thunk we'd have and that exact scenario? Yes. Uh, SC had three fumbles in this game. Um, one of them, Caleb Williams, uh, a strip sack in which he recovers and somehow gets it back right before the half. Uh, so that is the one uh, that is in the backfield. The other one, Quentin Joyner, fumbles one yard downfield. Does not count. Uh, and then the other one was uh, was Mario Williams who fumbled uh, in, no, on was, the screen. Who fumbled on the it screen? It was Mario Williams on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which does not count. So it's one. One was the answer. So uh, that gives it to you. Uh, all right, let's weekly scoreboard. We both went three and three as typical. That's just what happens. Uh, season standings. I maintain a twenty three. Uh, and 19 record with a uh, little three-game lead over you. You're at 20 and 22. Uh, let's see. Who went 6-0 and this week? Nobody. Nobody. Not a single person. We had nobody. Who went 5-1? and G-Pat. Big, big ups to G-Pats. Incredible performance from G-Pat. I have never seen carnage in their over-under game like I've seen this time. He, Michael was putting this together while I was in the other room, and I I heard him exclaim out loud, the carnage! And I was like, what? He's like, over-under. I'm like, was oh, no. insane. Like, 
we set records for the most people getting zeros this week. Um, <laughs> rough. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Which nobody ever gets a zero, and we got two zeros in this this week. Uh, I'm sorry, Callie Cat. I'm sorry, Cameron. I'm <laughs> Naming sorry. and shaving. I, I don't mean to. I don't. I don't mean to. Uh, only one person got five. It was insane. Every just about everybody got three or two correct. Mm-hmm. It was brutal, absolutely brutal. Uh, but what does this mean for GPAT? GPAT is now in a three-way tie for first. It's GPAT, it's Jay Vandy, and it's Vince in Santo Domingo. To all have a twenty-nine and thirteen record, which is fantastic. Very impressive. Yeah. Uh, I, I was looking at at, at those guys. You know how you need to be number one. You need to be consistent, and I think. GPAT has been five and one in five five of the seven games. That's remarkable. Remarkable. Mm-hmm. That, that, yep. That's that's how it has to happen. So, all right, uh, let's get to uh, the mailbag, shall we? Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today and use the code Reign of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Price Picks app with the code Reign of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. You've got mail. All right. Uh, I say the mailbag, but Alicia, I forgot. We have a rant line to get to, and I didn't do the rant line earlier. So let's get to the rant line real. For real. Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County calling at halftime. About as bad of a half as it could possibly have gone for us. Three interceptions just look completely inept on offense. You want to be a Heisman Trophy winner? You want to be a two-time Heisman Trophy winner? You need to step up and come back and do the impossible, Caleb. We saw it last night. Stanford, 29 to nothing, come back. We've got this, guys. We're going to come back. We're going to win this game. Mark this call. Mark my words. We have got this. USC wins over Notre Dame. Market. Yeah, remember all that stuff I had said at the halftime? Uh, yeah, I didn't realize our offensive line sucked. So, you know, here we go. Hey, Raina Troy Radio. It's Brian from Fontana calling. Hey, Raina Troy. This is Jackson from Virginia. Dan from Valley Village. This is Torn from Oklahoma. Hey, Raina Troy. This is LA Fred calling. Hey, guys. This is Michael in the 563. Greg from DC. Johnny from Tennessee here. Hey guys, this is Jeff and Copenhagen. Hey Alicia. Hey Michael. This is Troy from Saganez again. So we're on something of a of a road trip this year. I could drop a metaphor here. We got this car. We're going on a long trip and there's this big problem and it, it really our, our transmission's not great. It's been it's been acting up. It's been acting up all last year. It's still a pretty reliable car. 
first stop and the check engine light comes on. I'm like, oh, it's that transmission again. This is, and then, you know, it's running smooth for a while. It's, it's going great. We're like, okay. And, uh, we stop for the night. Next day, that transmission's making some weird noises. And the mechanic's like, you know, actually, it, it's fine. It's, you're, you're totally good, actually. There's not much we can do on it right now. The transmission stops making noise. It just, it's, it stops rattling. It gets a little quiet. And they're like, oh, I guess we're in the clear. And then we got hit by a bus. <laughs> that's what, uh, that's what watching this was tonight. There was a lot of things to say about what went wrong for USC against Notre Dame, especially the offensive line has completely regressed since last year. And don't forget to mention just they can't run block. They can't pass block. Basically everything went wrong. It seems like we've been exposed. And let's not forget about a complete meltdown, especially at the end there. And I think we can all agree that we knew that this was coming. We are not a playoff team. We are not a national championship team. I saw the ghost of Clay Helton on the sideline tonight. I'm sure of it. Funny to mention him. It felt like a USC Nordian game I've seen in the past. Um, it's called 2017. Well, after watching that debacle on Saturday night and then go, listening through the post-game car cast, I thought I had gone through my five stages of grief. Then I went to sleep, woke up Sunday, and started thinking about it some more. And after receiving no less than five text messages, I started to come to the realization that I'm not ready to accept losing to the damn leprechauns, nor will I ever be ready to accept that. There's only two words that can best sum up my emotions and feelings after watching that game Saturday night. This sucks! I hope they left Alice Grinch back at the airport in Notre Dame like we did Lane Kiffin some time ago. We can't blame the defense. I can't put any blame on the defense when they only give up 250 yards total offense. It's very funny. I, I didn't think I would see the day that the special teams and the offense, the offense specifically, letting down the defense. The offense was a hot mess. The run game was never established. Caleb Williams had the worst game of his career. So very surprised Caleb Williams played so poorly. Those three interceptions were killer. Obviously, the teams have now found the blueprint to USC's offense. The uh, team has some work to do, you know, especially on that offensive line. They just got blown out. I hope we just learn the lessons that we need to and find out how to right the ship. It seems we played a real hard team. Apparently, we just pulled, like, you know, uh, a cheap suit. It's going to be a rough road. Uh, moving forward. we got to figure out how to turn this crushed, crumpled sports car that we just wrapped around a telephone pole and get it back on the road again uh, in time for Utah. Because I swear to God, if we lose to Utah again, I'm... I'm... <laughs> and I'll probably be accused of a sunshine pumper, but there's still lots to play for. Let's get things fixed. Looking forward to next week, I guess. Have a good week. Let's get on and beat the youth. Let's beat the youth, please. Go Trojans. Fight on, everybody. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Uh, fight on. See ya. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye. There we go. We see if people were fired up. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I felt that. I, <laughs> the one that got me the most is the the transmission is bad. And then we got hit by a bus. <laughs> That's just perfect analogy. Uh, I know that was a long call that you had to cut down a bit there and fast forward through, but a uh, perfect analogy. We all were worrying about that transmission, not keeping our eyes on the road and not seeing the uh, the, the, the classic uh, hit by a bus thing. Yeah, just just out of nowhere, just poof, yeah. takes you out. Uh, we got a we got a uh, chat message from Lamont. 
Uh, I would have called the rant line the past couple of weeks, but the calls would have had to been bleeped too much uh, and would not have made any sense. So I decided not to call. <laughs> um, that's that's yeah. one reason not to call. I Absolutely. Mean, there was a good reason to say words that would need to be bleeped after that game. Yeah, Saturday. 100%. Uh, we got a bunch of uh, voicemails to get to. Uh, so let's start there. Uh, let's go with a to a voicemail we got from uh we're starting with thomas a big huge trojan thank you to alicia just listen to last night's uh, podcast the uh, car cast after the notre dame game finally someone with some logic trojan fans for five years bitching and moaning about clay held then we got a without doubt one of the top five college coaches around he has now gone 17 and four in a season and a half 17 and 4 after a 4 and 8 season, and we have idiots online calling in saying that we need to replace Lincoln Riley. Who are we getting? Lincoln Riley has been to the college football playoffs twice. Who out there are we getting that's better than Lincoln Riley? And by the way, what has Lincoln Riley done to be dismissed? He's 17. And four, a year and a half into his tenure, and I'm not all Trojan fans are like this. It's just a handful. It's just a handful out there. But you idiots need to calm down. You know, everybody's an expert online. Everyone's an expert calling these shows. We're 17 and four. Guess what? We may not win the national championship this year. We may not win it next year. Can we not enjoy a football season without everybody constantly saying that someone needs to be fired? Anyway, Alicia, thank you so very much. Love the show. Michael, you're pretty good also, and I don't want you getting upset. Thomas from Malibu, <laughs> fight on. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for the, the kind words. And, yes, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. I think it is absolute insanity to be sitting here and talking about Lincoln Riley as though he hasn't won 10, 11 games every season that he's been a head coach. Uh, I think it's absolutely insane to be talking about this team just one just a season removed, you know, it was it was 2 years ago that USC was 4 and 8 and had to fire their their head coach uh mid-season. Um after 6 years of of sort of general like mediocrity to the the you know, after the highs of of 2016, um I think it's absolutely insane. I think it's it's kind of an unhinged. If you have concerns about the remainder of the season, that is perfectly valid. I have concerns about the remainder of this season. Yeah. I think it's valid um, to have concerns going forward, I think, right? Yeah, I like, think it's very valid to have concerns about USC's recruiting right now and, con- and concerns in general going forward in terms of USC being able to make it to national championship level. Yeah. But 99... If your team is not Georgia then you have concerns about your team being able to win a national title going forward. So I like, I, I just think it's, I think it's wild. I think it's also worth remembering that, um, you know, Lincoln Riley has lost a game in October many, many times in his coaching career. And the second half of his seasons have generally been fine uh, to good to great. Uh, this season, the schedule is extremely difficult. So if USC stumbles down the, down the road, I will not be surprised necessarily because very, very few head coaches have to beat 
two top 10 teams in back-to-back weeks, the way that USC has to do that with Washington and Oregon, and five ranked teams in, uh, what is it? Four ranked teams in five weeks. Well, it's going to be, it's going to be five ranked teams in six weeks. Um, the, the, the road is extremely difficult, but to act like Lincoln Riley is just going to collapse and that USC is going to basically fall over and die is pretty wild, especially when this team, when people are comparing this loss to 2017. Well, what did 2017 go out? They just went out and won the Pac-12. USC's last Pac-12 victory, the only time that USC has won the Pac-12 since Clay Helton left and that's the one, the game that that everyone's comparing this to. So yeah, twenty seventeen when, as Jamie a- said, SC if, lost to Alex Grinch yeah. and Washington State's defense. Yeah. But uh, as a- as Jamie in the chat says, if USC had Georgia's schedule, we'd be having a different conversation right now. And if Georgia had USC's schedule, they would be having a different conversation right now. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. Uh, same thing. Um, yeah, we'll just move on to Matthew's call, uh, Michael's call. Hey guys, this is Michael the 563 responding to the car cast. Um, as you know, I have to follow the um, accounts of the game based on the radio description since I obviously can't see what's going on. Um, and they didn't mention the problems with the front line or the offensive line. So my perception was based on the idea that the offense is exposed because the receivers are no longer getting free space to be open and, you know, things moving along as they usually did. Uh, I agree. It's not the end of the world, but it sort of kind of feels like it only because if the offensive line has these kind of problems this week, what's to say it won't happen the next few weeks. I didn't hear any sort of a, and I haven't gone all the way through your podcast, but I have yet to see any kind of a description as to what can fix the problem. I mean, you've got the personnel that you've got and you can't add people or trade with other teams or any of that sort of stuff. So they are who they are. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but, uh, yeah, I'm feeling real pessimistic, Alicia, at this point. Uh, like I say, I hope I'm wrong, but as always, we fight on. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, this this is the problem for SC's offensive line, that there is no solution if this is how they're going to be for the rest of the season. If how they played against Notre Dame is, if that, like, if that is what the offensive line is, um, and it wasn't just a bad day, a bad matchup, uh, an out, a singular out coaching or any of those things, then that's a, that doesn't bode well because I don't know what the solution is. Is the solution solution is to wait for the transfer portal to open up again. And the solution is to throw, try to cobble together NIL money to go do that. And I, like, I, I don't know what the solution is overnight. I think that, yeah. You know, we we talked. I've made the analogy before about the the one and done thing. Kentucky doesn't win a national championship in basketball every year. They do the one and done thing. Sometimes Kentucky can man, uh, Calipari can put together an, a, a lineup that is incredible, and sometimes it just doesn't work. And I think that you can when you're doing a wholesale transformation throughout a team, I think there's a lot of areas where the transfer portal absolutely works. The offensive line is the hardest one to get right. Mm -hmm. I think you can absolutely can do it, but it's the hardest one to get exactly right uh, because chemistry is so important. And we talked about it before that, yeah, the, the, the offensive line the SC had in 2021 and 2022 were good. Voorhees and Nilon were both there. And 
SC had not really faced the brunt of the Clay Helton lack of recruiting on the offensive line because they had starters who were so veteran. Voorhees was around forever. Brent Nealon mm-hmm. is around forever, right? They had Elijah Vera Tucker, who's in the NFL. They had um, um, Austin Jackson, who was a first-round pick, right? They had guys that were the ones that panned out, but the depth behind that wasn't there. And when you look at what Pete Carroll was able to do and turn things around somewhat quickly in year two, he had a Jacob Rogers there in year two. Who's the Jacob Rogers on this, this this roster? You would have hoped it was one of the transfer guys. Well, you would have hoped that it was Jonah Monheim. Um, yeah. He's been USC's best uh, best lineman so far this season, and, and he's mm-hmm. had a rough couple of weeks. Uh, you would have hoped it would be Justin Dietrich, and he's had a rough few weeks. Yeah. Um, you hoped that one of the one of the transfers that you got, and maybe Ethan White was that guy, and you just really, really got unlucky with his medical yeah. situation. It's it's just it's very hard to tell. That's not to say that there aren't solutions to for the rest of this season. Um, well, Lamont in chat says uh, the solution is quick passes, screens, draws, slants, a lot of hope for missed tackles. Yes, so the- I, I think this is one of the things that absolutely my biggest criticism with the coaching staff uh, so far has been the inability to subvert the the lack of protection. I think I think what I want to see from USC is more of those tunnel screens that they had used to very effectively last year. Mm-hmm. Um, more, yeah, more the slants. They did that in the game. The slants were starting to work. It's just, you have to be careful there because linebackers will pick those off. If you keep, you keep working them too hard, yeah. uh, but you can work some slants. You can work some screens. Um, you can also go max protect. You can bring in tight ends and running backs. Uh, we saw them do that in this game. And, and, and that was like the, the, the most time that Caleb Williams had to throw in the nut and the day was, was mm-hmm. the the plays where they had um, Max Protects come in and and they and they committed more more blockers. You still do need your blockers to do their job. We saw Jude Wolf has a have a horrendous whiff on a on a, a block. We've seen the offensive linemen have whiffs. There was a question that we got um, about why uh, why Marshawn Lloyd wasn't in the game over Austin Jones. Um, and I just thought back to against Arizona, there was a pretty bad whiff by Marshawn Lloyd in the backfield. No mm-hmm. blocking, no Rocky. I think Austin Jones gets the nod there because they probably trust him more in pass protection. Um, but those are those are things that you can do to try and mitigate the offensive line not being great. There's other solutions you can do. If your plan with Pregnon or Kingston or Tarquin is not working, uh, commit fully to Mason Murphy. I don't know if that's a perfect solution, but it's an option. Um, if those guys aren't getting the job done, then maybe you do break glass and say, fine, Alani Noah and Elijah Page have to get thrown into the fire now. The freshmen, the true freshmen, which we I saw think, them play early on the first two weeks. Yes. And, and personally, that is a break glass in case of emergency situation. If you literally cannot like if you have another game like you did Notre Dame, if you have another game like you did Arizona back, you know, back to if you continue to have these same kind of performances, then maybe that is the solution. Just break glass in case of emergency and see if either of those guys can get it, can get the job done. It's not a good solution. It rarely, rarely works out if you have to do it that way. But, but that is something that USC could do 
to try and and live with this because maybe you're better off living with freshman mistakes that occasionally blow up, blow up your option than every single play these guys are getting are getting beat. Yeah. Um, Touchdown USC said that he thinks that uh, they think that Justin Dietrich is not healthy. That that I wouldn't be surprised if there was something else going on with uh, with Dietrich or, or Monheimer or any of these. I mean, I mean, yeah. It's it's hard, it's hard to, to say. say right? It's hard to say, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was uh, other stuff going on that's that's not helping the performance of uh, of the team. So you can try a lot of things. I think at a certain point you throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, but you got to do something. And the the plus side going into Notre Dame, so going into Utah, is that USC has had the performances that they've had. They have to troubleshoot this entire week. Like that has to be what this week is about. The other thing that I'm struggling about the the reconstruction thing is the idea that oh these just weren't the right guys. I Kingston, everyone in Washington State thought he was going pro. Mm-hmm. Like he was like it's not like they got dudes who were just nobody. That, well, like, ask less of them, you know. Ask less of them, maybe. That, that's, that's, that's that's what I'm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's they they got to find a way to subvert mm-hmm. uh, with screen. I want to see more screens. Mm-hmm. Give run the screens into the ground. Now that make, Zachariah make this Branch the, the, yeah, with, is with, back with Branch back, make yeah. this the 2014 USC offense. Yeah, run the screens into the ground. Throw throw to Nelson Aguilar 16 times against Cal. You know what I mean? Oh, I mean also specifically, and I don't. Uh, a running back slip screen, the kind of thing that kills USC's defense every week. Oh. I don't know why USC doesn't have that in their oh, arsenal. The, bu- the Buck a, Allen slip yeah, screen. Yeah, like a Buck Ooh. Allen slip screen. USC yeah. doesn't seem to have that in their arsenal for some reason. I don't yeah. think we've seen Lincoln Riley try it. Those things are paper scarf for defense. When you're when you're deep when your offensive line is getting beat the way that USC's offensive line is getting beat, like it might be worth a try. <laughs> like I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Oof. Love me a slip screen. Make make the opposing defensive front have to think to themselves if they get through too easily. Make them have to take us take a yeah. split second to think. Mm-hmm. Did I get through too easily because they wanted me? Yeah, to. but but this also I think is the problem of the lack of ability to run block because last year they were they didn't have to do these things because they could just run block effectively uh, and go to the run game when they needed to. That's that's not the that's not the case here. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from uh, Scott in Memphis. Hey, Michael, Alicia, this is Scott from Memphis. I kind of laughed when I saw the, it came up for the YouTube, the USC Notre Dame reaction, because the initial reaction should be, ugh. <laughs> Other than that, I was listening to or watching college football final, and they mentioned that Notre Dame is not really the team that USC is built for and we'll do better when we get back into the Pac-10 starting next week. And I thought to myself, no, no, that's not good because basically next year we're going to be playing weekend and week out, except for our old Pac-12 friends, Big Ten Notre Dame-like teams. So we better start figuring out how to beat Notre Dame-type teams and those big physical in the trench teams because that's what we're going to be playing. Not every week. Of course, there's always going to be an Indiana or a Northwestern. But Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, they are very much like Notre Dame, just with better players. 
good to get back with the Pac-12. Utah is almost like a Big Ten team, so I see more trouble, except that it's in the Coliseum. So fight on, but uh, initial reaction, ugh. take care. Thanks for the call, Scott. This is an interesting one because I think that this is a conversation that I've been wanting to have is talking about the Big Ten and the things going for and the, like the opponents that SD needs to get ready for and all those things. Where, where do you stand on is, is the Notre Dame uh, a foreshadowing of what's to come in the Big Ten for you? Because I've got strong thoughts on this. No, I think it's a disrespect to the Pac-12 to act like the Pac-12 doesn't have good defensive lines or good defenses. That's a disrespect to the Pac-12. That's a misread of the Pac-12. USC has played teams that have good defenses and have good defensive lines in the Pac-12. The Big Ten uh, might play a different style of, of, of football, but I don't think that Notre Dame is necessarily like aspiring to be the kind of team that like you're looking at with Ohio State or or mm-hmm. Michigan or like Purdue or Rutgers or you know Wisconsin or yeah. Nebraska all of those I mean all of those are are also tra- like all of those offenses are all transitioning to be higher power offense to offenses too like I I just think it's a oversimplification of what the actuality of the different conference styles are mm-hmm. uh so yeah, I do not buy the uh, I I yes, I think I think that it, it's worrisome when when Scott mentions Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. Yes, I yeah. think that they they are in the line of uh a construct basic construction of what Notre Dame is like. And yes, you need to be worrisome of what those lines are. The flip side of it is anyone who thinks that Oregon is soft hasn't been watching Pac-12 football for the last five, six years. That's all I'm saying. Oregon has had some of the best offensive lines in the country for years, right? And defensive lines. Um, I think the problem in the Big Ten is not that they play great defense. It's that they don't play offense. They don't play an offense that that is truly transcendent when you go to the bottom tier of the conference. Your Indianas, your Purdue's, your Northwesterns are playing a completely different sport than what the Pac-12 has. The thing about the Pac-12 is we've talked about it before. Even the bad teams, for the most part, can chuck it all over the field and can do all. The, look, look at Stanford the other night. Yeah. We, I think Stanford is a terrible football team. <laughs> and look at the performance they were they were able to get out of that receiver air manner or whatever his name is that I'm probably mm-hmm. butchering right now. Like I don't know that those guys exist at Illinois. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yes, those games I think are absolutely defensively minded and SC needs to find a way to not get beaten in the trenches to Michigan and Penn state and Ohio state, but you're not play- facing all three of them in the same season. Um, and SC's already had to deal with that against Oregon. Uh, against, that's, against Washington. USC has had to play Stanford and Cal every year, both teams that have more of that identity uh, defensively, mm-hmm. um, at least when, when both of those teams were sort of decent, good, whatever. Uh, they've had to play Oregon and Washington, both who are capable of doing that. Yeah. I just think it's, again, it's an, and, and Utah, 
um, it's a, it's an oversimplification yeah. of, of the difference between the two conferences. Uh, I, West, West Texas Mike says, I hate that argument that the, the objective is to win championships, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, or whoever. Uh, USC doesn't need to winterize to beat Big Ten teams. I, I think yeah. that I think you need to be able to have a game that, that can go on the road and beat anybody. So if that's called winterizing, sure. But I think the other the other part about it is let's also remember the Big Ten has not won a playoff game in a long time. Yes. So even if, so if we can put Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State on a pedestal as much as we want – those teams aren't winning playoff games either. It's just especially silly because the whole thing about USC in the Pac-12 is the end of the season has traditionally been you go to the Rose Bowl and you play a Big Ten team. Yeah. And USC has the best record in the Rose Bowl against those very well, Big Ten teams. I'm not saying that this USC program, like yeah. if USC doesn't get their offensive line fixed, none of this matters and it's not stylistic. It's not a stylistic mm-hmm. question. It's you need to have a competent offensive line to win in any conference yeah. that the level that USC wants to win it. It's just silly to like act like, oh, USC doesn't know what it's like to play Big Ten teams. USC has literally made its legend in college football yeah. by beating Big Ten teams, the best Big Ten team. Lamont says uh, Utah's always difficult. yes Utah. How did we forget Utah? Yes, I, I, yeah, I brought up Utah. Yeah, Utah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, I looked up the 2019 Holiday Bowl. Last time SC played a Big Ten team, right? Was 2019 Holiday Bowl? Yeah, you're probably thinking, oh, SC got blown out by Iowa, right? Yeah. I've said for years that that's kind of a bogus read on that game. Uh, I looked it up when Keaton Slovis was in the game. He got hurt in the third quarter. When he was in the game, SC averaged 7.58 yards per play against an Iowa defense. An Iowa defense that we talked about all December about was going to shut down SC. Yes. So, again, it comes down to um, the Big Ten will only will only be a massive problem for USC if USC's roster development is not good, yeah. which the Pac-12 would be has been a problem for USC because USC's roster development hasn't been good enough. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And and that was a that was a Keaton Slovis and um Graham Harrell Graham Harrell offense. Yeah. 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 Uh all right, uh message we got from Tony in Denora PA via the email uh, Michael and Alicia, this is Tony from Denora, PA. That was ugly. It was a physical beatdown. As the great Keith Jackson would have put it, we were taken to the woodshed. Uh, Caleb had his worst game of his career in the O-line, was physically manhandled from the start to the end. We couldn't handle their blitz packages all game. We need to flush this game away, make the proper adjustments this week, and get ready for Utah. Fight on, Tony. Denora, PA. I summed it up perfectly yeah yeah um the one thing i want to say on the blitz packages is i saw uh i wish i remember who tweeted it but i saw a thing about how i think it was um antonio morales who pointed out that notre dame didn't actually send a lot of blitzes they were getting pressure with their four-man front and a team that can get pressure on you with their four-man front is going to be a problem for most offenses that is the, the the bigger issue. Blitz packages are difficult. You have to be able to deal with them. But if if you are also giving up pressure against four or three men fronts like they did against Arizona the week before, um, 
the other team doesn't even need to blitz. They can sit back and 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 make your wide receivers look like they're bad because they aren't getting open because you know they they don't have to send additional pressure. Yeah, uh, that is that is definitely an issue. Definitely have to flush this game, but also learn from it, adjust from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. Couldn't couldn't say it better myself. Uh, John and Zuza send sent us an electronic message. Hi, Michael and Alicia. Thanks for the therapy session for, on this disappointing night. Your commentary on the O-line got me thinking deeply about the rebuild Lincoln and more generally coaches that use the transfer portal heavily have to deal with. I thought last year's success was primarily due to Caleb. Obviously, he was a huge part of an 11-3 and season. However, I don't think I fully appreciated the offensive line's role in that success. It should have been obvious after the Pac-12 championship game. It's obvious now that the O-line is the issue and a lack of depth provided the previous coaching regime a longer-term issue that needs to be addressed. For me, this has really reset my expectations for this team. In my eyes, and even with the generational talent, this is still a rebuilding year for Lincoln. He still needs some time to build the lines. I think we're getting there, at least on the defensive line. My hope is that we can improve and develop our guys while maybe taking down some ranked opponents along the way. What are your thoughts? Keep up the great work, John in Azusa. Yeah, 100%, John. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think I may have even been quoting you earlier about the idea of not fully appreciating the offensive line last year. Uh, I, I know we said it at the time. The thing that people didn't take into account against Utah was Caleb Williams' hamstring and critically... Well, the lack of the ability to run in that game was because, because injuries to Voorhees, injuries to Nealon, yeah. uh, Nealon, USC's offensive line, which had been a key, key, key part of allowing USC's offense to be ba- to be balanced because they were run blocking so well uh, that uh, that that losing that you see the difference. You see Caleb having to do it all on his own things that people mm-hmm. accused him of doing last year, which just flat out was not the case because USC did have a good rushing attack, a capable rushing attack. Um, and, and we've seen USC this year when they have their capable rushing attack, that everything is easier on every other aspect of the offense. So yeah. the offensive line is, is definitely an issue. The, the worry for next year is that USC did a lot of offensive line recruiting mm-hmm. this past year but those dudes now have to be ready to go because uh, Tarquin and Jarrett are both graduating. Dietrich is graduating. So once again, you find yourself, if Jonah Monheim de- decides to come back, which is not a guarantee, he is eligible to leave for the NFL. If he decides to come back, you are still replacing three of five starters for next year. Yeah. And you need guys like Alani Noah, Elijah Page, Micah Benuelos, uh, uh, and and several others. Um, you need Gino Canones to choose to come back as well. I think that is more of an expectation. Um, Cooper Lovelace, all of them, they need to step up and be ready to start. Uh, or it's going to be a long um, a long season for for USC if they don't if they don't get those right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go to a message we got from Mike. Uh, hi, Alicia and Michael. Been listening to you the last couple of years, and I really like your show. This is my first time writing in, so here it goes. How does our five-man O-line protect Caleb against a five-man or six-man rush? This is what both Arizona and Notre Dame did in those two games, and we had no answer. They aren't just rushing three dudes. It seems like a five- or six-man blitz on the, on every single play. 
This seems to be what other teams and defensive coordinators have just figured out in terms of how to stymie our offense. Caleb under pressure isn't as good as Caleb with time to look around. Also, he seems to be less confident in scrambling out of the pocket, or is this that his men downfield aren't as open Uh, versus last year when he made all those Heisman plays? With bigger, bulkier dudes on the opposing team's defensive lines, shouldn't Marshawn Lloyd, who is physically bigger and bulkier, be in there more than Austin Jones? Seems like against Notre Dame, Jones had more snaps. Regardless, both of them need to be better at blocking and creating running lanes that they need for the yards. Uh, Could USC add a tight end component to the offense, and would this help? Keep up the great work and fight on. Uh, Mike Risen, uh, P.S. My son Matt is in the Trojan marching band. Hey, That's awesome. shout out shout out to Matt. Shout out to the Trojan Martian Band. Big fans. Uh, thank you for the email. I definitely was also quoting this email earlier about uh, Austin Jones and, and Marshawn Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that USC needs to needs to mitigate their issues up front. Um, like we said earlier, bringing in a tight end is definitely a help. Having your running back stay in to pass protect is is definitely a help. Um Using calling plays that force the defensive front to have to think about whether or not they can go full bore at the quarterback is definitely something you need to you need to be doing. Um, but like I said, like I wish I wish it was just all out blitzes. Most quarterbacks are worse under pressure for the record. Just just yeah. flat out, most quarterbacks are worse when they're when they're under pressure. I brought up Jalen Hurts. Um, we've seen this from, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers a couple of years ago when mm-hmm. their offensive line couldn't protect him. He's the best quarterback on the planet, but when it when there's men in your face, it's very difficult to execute. Um, and if it was just the opposing team doing all-out blitzes, it would be a lot easier to deal with that because there are very specific things that you can you can do to to mitigate that. When you are getting beat and they are not setting blitzes, that is when you are truly, truly effed. And that's what happened to USC in the last two weeks. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, um, SC's got to find a way. Absolutely got to find uh, a way to uh, to do those things. Uh, in terms of the Lloyd versus uh, Jones thing, I was sh- sort of shocked, to be honest, that um, Jones got so much run. Uh, mostly because we saw last year that uh, Lincoln's offense had sort of gone to a one backfield rotation, one guy in the backfield for the most part. Um, and we had seen early on this year, as the year had progressed, that was the case. Marshawn Lloyd was the number one running back, and there was a huge gap to number two. Um, that has kind of changed the last couple of weeks. Do you think that maybe, I don't know, it just popped in my head, Austin Jones had a lot of success against Notre Dame last year because Travis Dye was not available. Like maybe it was a well, he 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 had it he had it last year. I would just have Lloyd be my my main guy because he is capable of breaking a longer run. Um, yeah, he. he I, I just think he has a much higher ceiling than than Austin Jones. Austin Jones is a perfectly capable running back, but Marshawn Lloyd has a a very very high ceiling that. Um, I would I would want him in there, but like I said, no blocking, no rocky. I don't know if he, if uh, I can't point to many specific examples, but if they were relying on Austin Jones as a pass uh, pass protector, then 
that's uh, possibly a reason. Yeah. Uh, let's go to a question we got here on uh, the good old YouTube. Uh, Lamont says, don't you think a 3-4 defense uh, with 10-90-51 uh, beating Muhammad, Bear Alexander, and uh, uh, Solomon Bird? Uh, four linebackers, and then you can still have the four DBs to play a semi-dime look. This would be better uh, and put tacklers, um, and you could still have the blitz and sub freely. Who are those four linebackers? Yeah, four. See, this, <laughs> this is the interesting thing. I that's my SC only, only has uses two linebackers right now, and yet it weirdly is beneficial because that's SC's biggest hole is the number of linebackers that they have that I think that. That should be seen the field as much, right? Now, maybe if you had four linebackers, you wouldn't have to make the choice of which of the four to put out there. And the net positive of having four out there means that you have two of the better ones out there at all times while mm-hmm. also having two of the worst ones. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think um, I, I, I think it's you- hard to argue. I think it's hard to argue for a three-man front against like a team like Notre Dame that's going to want to try and that, that if you give them the opportunity can run it down your throat. Um, but it might, I mean, maybe that's some, maybe that is something to, to try against Utah because Utah has had trouble establishing their run game this year and their quarterback is, is situation is I, I, weird. I don't know. I think show the, them something they're not expecting. <laughs> I, I like the idea of, yeah, of having, you know, sort of a, you know, flexible fronts. Um, but I think that's the key. I think it's being flexible. It's not necessarily locking into like a three, four base uh, is the name of the game on defense is multiple, right? You want to be able, especially when you look at the remaining games on SC schedule, uh, Utah and Cal drastically different than what SC is going to face against Washington mm-hmm. against Washington. You're probably going to only want like two guys down. Like, well, it, like bait them to run. Yeah. Right? It's, like it's it's gonna be a completely different sort of situation. But um yeah, I think the, the four linebackers are the problem with the three four. Um yeah. the three four there. I'm and I think and it, but I think you, you wanna everyone runs a nickel of some sort now. I think you sort of have to um at least be flexible there. Um Sager says buy or sell Jen Cohen has already had a one V one closed door meeting with Lincoln post the Notre Dame game, uh, to concern, uh, voice your concerns. So there's no way that's happened. Yeah. I, I don't know that it would be something serious. I'm sure that they've had a chat. I'm sure they've some talked. Sort. I don't think there's a Lincoln come to my office. We need to discuss the fact that USC has lost one game this season. Yeah. yeah. That, no, absolutely not. Yeah, uh, Roman Murdy says, uh, should we view Saturday's game as a uh, one-off due to turnovers, penalties, and bad line play? I think we will clean it up and go at least 4-1, and one, maybe 5-0. and oh. I actually think this is optimistic, Rama. Um, I think it's a... it's. I know that the USC fan base is panicked right now, but I think there is a greater chance than people would like to believe that USC could pull that off. The reason that I'm not, like, if we're going to do buy or sell, the reason I would sell the idea that this is just a one-off, aside from, like, I think the three interceptions thing is a one-off. That's just its own thing. The rest of it doesn't feel like a one-off to me simply because Arizona and a three-man front, a different kind of defense, had USC's offensive line's number 
and then they go against against a totally different kind of offense, a totally different kind of defense that Notre Dame runs, and their four-man front also has USC's offensive line's number, and mm-hmm. both of them are having success when they're blitzing and when they're not blitzing, uh, and both of them are causing havoc in the backfield. That is a worry, and that is a sign that this might not be a one-off in terms of USC's offensive line being able to provide a solid foundation upon which Caleb Williams and the rest of the offense can work. Yeah. Uh, HR Pickensoff says Caleb still hasn't won a big game. Uh, He's 0-4. I think that's straight up... Two uh, losses to Utah, Tulane, and now Notre Dame. Straight up inaccurate. If you are putting the Tulane loss... Uh, on Caleb Williams. I wouldn't put the first Utah loss on I wouldn't him. put the first Utah loss on first Caleb Utah Williams. Loss, he, for, first of all, Utah and Tulane, he threw five touchdowns apiece in either one of those games. I don't know what more you want from your quarterback. I don't know. You cannot hold a quarterback to the standard of if you don't score 50 points, then you are it, the loss is on you. I do not think that's, uh, that's the case. Yeah. This is the first loss that is on Caleb Williams in a fair in a fair sense, because even the second Utah loss, it's on Caleb Williams in the sense that Caleb Williams on one leg was not super effective. Yeah. Uh, but there were so many mitigating circumstances that I'm not even also, putting that on him. Caleb on one leg with the with the two offensive line injuries. And then USC still had a chance in yeah. that game. It was absurd. Yeah. I, so yeah, I'm I'm not buying that. That's silly. Yeah, I I, th- I think it's fair to say that Caleb has had his bad games. Oregon State last year. Uh, and he's had two in a row, Arizona and uh, Notre Dame this year. Uh, and he had a couple of bad games uh, in his first season in Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say. But when it comes to the big games, he he had like the most yards ever put on UCLA in a rivalry game last yeah. year. Beating um, UCLA and Notre Dame last year was not, uh, those weren't yeah. like He won games. the Heisman because what he did in big moments last year. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's a lack of, of him playing up in big moments. Uh, last question. West Texas Mike, can we ha- harass the Trojan marching band to play Levels by Avicii as the fourth quarter song after William Tell uh, and the DA and the DJ plays YMCA, which I think is lame. I, I, I'm not opposed. I think William Tell has to be like, uh, William, the, William Tell, Tell is, 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 the, too, is, is, but William too Tell historic. Is is tra- is for like as traveler comes out yeah. to light the torch like that's yeah. you can't put levels over that you can it, put levels after that you can put levels after that for yeah. sure but no. plus it's a I, tribute to Avicii yes I I and I do love Avicii he died rip that's why it's a tribute yes I got that okay yeah I, why okay I think YMCA is a corny song with the exception of one use I love it at Wrigley. It's great at Wrigley for a uh, pitching chain song. Okay. That's and hit the road. Hit the road jack is even better, obviously. But that and hit the road jack are the two uh, pitching chain songs at Wrigley, and it's great in the middle. Middle of the top of the eighth, couple guys on, the pitching change, and then YMCA comes on. Yeah, you're feeling it. The Coliseum. Yeah, I could do without it. So I agree. I'm buying. I'm buying. All right. Um, Glenn says, I'm just happy to, for, uh, I'm just leaving for the F1 race. And it gets me from uh, all the N- ND putzes here in Indiana. Well, there you go. So enjoy, enjoy Austin. Uh, we will be back Wednesday to look at 
uh, USC and Utah. Lock and Horns Saturday night. So uh, until then, we will see you. See ya. See ya.